Hey, this is Paul Connor, pastor of City Baptist Church here in Vancouver. And I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast and just say thank you so much for joining us today. You know, it's our mission to help you find and follow Jesus. And we pray that the message encourages and inspires you today. Today's message is from our brand new series, Renew. And as we begin this new year together, we're going to be focusing in on Romans chapter 12 and discover the power that is found in renewing our hearts and minds through Jesus and his unchanging word. Let's get into today's message. Let me just sort of refresh real quickly. So our spiritual giftedness, and it shows us how uh, God is, is uh, God wants us to work and how, uh, I guess you would say, the blueprint for a healthy church. But now we're going to continue our study. And what we're going to do as we continue today, as we've already understand and, and solidified um, the fact that uh, we need to surrender to God and there's transformation, and then that leads us to understand our gifts and want to serve. Now Paul is going to build on those foundations of renewal. And what he's going to do is he is going to give us clarity clarity as to how the newly surrendered Christian will behave in the culture and behave in the society that God has placed us in. Remember, God did not save us to sit. God saved us to serve other people. And so now that we understand these foundational truths, he gives us the next steps forward that we need to pursue uh, what I'm calling Christian behavior in in my title today, and the things that we need to pursue to understand how God wants us to live. And so he gives it to us in sort of a, a list, a bullet point, if you want to call it that. Now, I'm the kind of person uh, that likes lists. I don't know about you. Maybe maybe you're not that kind of person. If you're one of those people, you're like me, and you're like, I love lists. I love following lists. Put it in the chat to say, I'm a list person, because uh, that's who I am. And that's one of the things I've learned about myself is uh, lists help me to focus. It helps me to um, be dedicated to the task that is at hand, so much so that I even use my phone and my assistant on my phone, who shall remain nameless. I don't want to say her name, because she'll probably then listen. They're always listening, right? Uh, but I'll even say, hey, leave me a, uh, a reminder for later on or whatever. And I use those all the time throughout the day, so I remember to do things so I can complete the task and the things that God has wanted me to do. But I love lists. And guess what? My wife has figured that out about me. And uh, Jeanette knows that I'm a list person. And so what has happened as our marriage has developed is that what I find happening is that she begins to leave lists of things around the house for me to do. And uh, I have one. I brought one with me today. And this is... um, this is called a babe do list, uh, not a honey do list. She doesn't call me honey, so it's we have a babe do list. And I brought this here, and the other day I came home and I just happened to discover it on my nightstand, right next to right next to the bed. And on there, there's a list of some things that uh, she wants me to do. Oddly enough, I'll just be honest with you, kind of let you in. Oddly enough, it doesn't say anything in here about relaxing and watching football. I don't know why she left that off. Apparently, that's not something she thinks I need to be doing. But there's a bunch of things in here, and uh, if you're curious, uh, I'll, I'll put it, maybe uh, I'll let you know later on what she wants me to do around the house. But, you know, when she does that for me um, and leaves these things for me, some my, my babe do list, things for me to do, there's a couple of ways I can respond to that, isn't there? Uh, I think you guys realize I could probably, when I come home, I could take this, this list and I could go into the kitchen, you know, and I could get offended, couldn't I? And I could take this list and I could slap it down there on the table and be like, Jeanette, don't you, don't you think I work hard enough already? Like, what's wrong with you? Don't you, you know, why can't you do these things? Why do I have to do these things? And, and I could go in there and I could be all offended. Don't, and, you know, accuse her of not caring about me. And don't you know how hard I work? And, and that would be one way that I could respond to this. Another way I could respond to this is kind of be a little passive aggressive, you know? I could take the list and just be like, okay, is this really what you want me to do? And then I could, you know, go downstairs and, um, 
I need to move some things on the wall in the family room. I need, apparently, I need to adjust them. And so uh, if I go down there, you know, and I, I adjust it, and then I yell upstairs at her. I was like, Jeanette, get your butt down here, you know? I want you to see what I did and then point at it. Maybe that's a little rude. I'm sorry. Jeanette, get on down here. And, uh, and I can say, look what I did. I did, your, I did your stinking list, you know? And look how great it looks. And, and I could respond that way. And by the way, I'd be a terrible husband, a terrible person, and I, that's not a good way to respond, okay? Just so you know, that's not how I talk to my wife. Some of you are concerned. Um, just say, I'm all good in the chat. I'm all good, pastor. I trust you. Okay, good. So those are two ways I could respond, and those would be negative ways. But then I could respond in a proper way where I could say, oh, okay, I'd be glad to do this. I see where some of these things, and I'll tell you, as I look at this list, uh, by the way, uh, I haven't done any of these. Actually, now that I remember, that's not a good thing. I, haven't, I will work on these, hon. This is a recent list, just so you know. Uh, I realize that these are things that need to be done in our house. And I could say, hon, I realize that uh, these are important. I realize they'll make you happy. I realize that they'll be to the benefit of our house, uh, of our household. I recognize that, um, you know, I, I respect and I love everything that you do for our family. And so I'm happy to do these things and I'll gladly take care of those. Now, those scenarios that I gave to you, uh, the first two would be extremely damaging to my relationships. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, extremely damaging to my relationships, not only to my wife and I relationship, but to my kids who are observing this. They would be like, what is going on? And they would learn maybe some bad habits or how to talk to other people. Um, it, would, it would not be a good thing. But the third reaction is a good reaction, isn't it? And in fact, it could be life-giving to our relationship. It could, it could breathe life into us, and it could encourage our boys as they watch my wife and I interact, and it could be a huge blessing to our home who are those that are observing it. Now, to me, this is an illustration right here. What I'm trying to get across to us today is that this is an illustration for how we should be looking at Scripture, especially when Scripture gives us sort of a list, like we're going to look at, a list of things that we should follow should we uh, be pursuing the fulfilled Christian life. We can resist God and we can say, uh, you can't tell me what to do. And we could bring damage to our relationship with Christ. Or uh, you could do it with a bad attitude and say, hey, God, look, I did this thing for you. I did all these things you mentioned to me. And, and, uh, and so look at this. So God, now you need to do something for me. We could use it as a bargaining chip. We could try to uh, manipulate God. Or what we could do is humbly, from a heart of love and a heart of thankfulness, pursue Christ and pursue a life that is joyfully following the commands of God. Reminded of 2 John chapter 1, verse number 6, where it says, And this is love, that we walk after His commandments. The way that we show love to God is by walking after His commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye walk in it. Here's what we've got to remember, church. We do not follow God's instructions because we're trying to gain favor from Him or earning our salvation. We love God and we serve God from the right heart and with the right spirit because we have favor, because we have salvation, because he in his mercy has demonstrated that to us. We love him because he first loved us. And so as we head into this list of instructions that we're going to cover over the next two weeks, I, I want to remind you that uh, God is giving us areas of behavior, Christian behavior, and, and I want us to know how important it is our heart is when we approach it. Sometimes people look at Scripture and they're just like, I just don't want to do what God wants me to do. And so I want to encourage you, don't approach Scripture in that way today. We must recognize that if we're going to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ and spread the gospel, then we have to move out at some point and start uh, reaching out and start living and actively pursuing a life that reflects Jesus Christ. These are elements of grace, elements of grace that go beyond our giftedness 
uh, to magnify Christ in our daily lives. And so we're going to get into the passage today, and we'll begin with point number one, that we need to love sincerely. We need to love sincerely. Let's look at chapter number 12, verses 9 uh, through 10. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number 9. It says, let love be without dissimulation. That's an interesting word there. And then it says, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. The immediate impact of this is seen in the first line there, verse number nine, where it encourages us that we are to love. And that is the word agape. You see that there. It says we are to sacrificially love. And then it uses a unique word without dissimulation. That's a word if you're looking for a word to use at work this week, uh, try to work that one in. But what that word means is that without hypocrisy is what it means. It means uh, living, uh, uh, love, loving others, sorry, without hypocrisy, meaning it's a genuine love for others. And that's the immediate impact that we see here as Paul stresses uh, to us that our sacrificial love must never be pretend. It must never be hypocritical. It must never be uh, play acting or have an ulterior motive when we are dealing with others. We must show love. We must show respect. We must show interest. We must show attention. We must show care and concern all from the proper motives with the right motivation. You know, we have all experienced the uh, fake kindness or the fake friendliness of somebody who is acting like they're friendly to us, but we know they really don't, uh, we know they really don't like us. And we, man, that's frustrating to us, isn't it? And we're just so frustrated by that. And, uh, and Christians should never live in that way. I love this quote about love in the Christian where it says, love is the circulatory system of the spiritual body, which enables all the members to function in a healthy in a harmonious way. But look back at the verse again. He says, let your love be genuine and be real. And then he says here, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Now, verse number 10 there, what does it do? It shows us that the Christian's love is to be uh, uh, tender, is to be a protective love to those that we are called to uh, share love with. And Paul here is emphasizing a Christ-like sacrificial love. As well, later on in verse number 10, he talks about being kindly affection and brotherly love. It's the idea of like a family type of a love. You just, you just love each other. It's just a, a genuine, you just love being around uh, those kind of people. And then he, what he says to us here is that the way we show our love then is by abhorring evil and cleaving to good. Now, those are two interesting words there. The word abhor uh, that you see means a strong dislike. It means a horror or to hate with an intense feeling. Now think about that for a minute. He says that we are to hate with an intense feeling things that are evil. And then he says we are to cleave, which means to stick to. We are to glue together uh, to the things that are good. Here's what he's trying to say to us. One of the ways that we show genuine love is that we have an actual hate. We have an actual dislike evil. Remember, a pure love is going to desire the very best for people. And so what happens here? Then love uh, love is going to hate evil. It's going to avoid it. And the reason is, is because if you really love somebody, you're going to want them to stay away from evil things. Evil is what destroys people. It is what uh, destroys lives. I mean, it's evil that brings about our world today full of abuse and addictions and immorality and uh, hunger and poverty and and greed and corruption and and harmful actions and thoughts, all of these things, and we're to avoid it. I think of two verses particularly about this passage where it says Psalm 97 and uh, verse number 10, where it says, ye that love the Lord hate evil. And then in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 27, he says, turn not to the right hand nor to the left, Uh, remove thy foot from evil. 
You know, one of the hardest things to do as a pastor is to go to somebody in love and warn them about some evil, warn them about wrong things that they are involved in. But if I truly love that person, I'm willing to do that hard thing because I want them to avoid evil. That's the, that's the, the picture of genuine, genuine love. And, uh, and we need to remember that. And so we show our love by resisting and by fighting against evil, but we also reveal our love by fastening and by sticking ourselves to what is good. What does that mean? Well, it means that we're to desire good things for other people. You know, it's easy for us to desire good things for ourselves, isn't it? It's very easy to do that. But it's harder to desire good things for others. And a way that we show true love is by uh, showing that and by desiring good things and showing our love for them by pursuing that for other people and not just for ourselves. And it's possible and it's visible through the purity of our motivations. And if you have the right motivations, you will push away from evil and you'll head towards good. I'm thinking about the story of a man by the name of George Mueller, and I've used him as an illustration before. And uh, if you don't mind holding up with me one second, Christian, can you go turn off the heat, please? It's really hot in here. I'm like sweating like crazy. You guys can probably see that, right? Man, it's like a real service here, right? It's, it's uh, Maximus, why don't you get me a little paper towel? Is that okay? I hope you guys are okay with that. <laughs> I'm getting a little shiny. Let's talk about George Mueller, though, for a minute here. And uh, George Mueller was somebody who grew up, and he was self-described an evil person. He was a wicked man, is what he said. And uh, what he, what, thank you, son, what he, what he said is that um, he, he, he was so bad that as a child, you know, he, he would run away from home. Uh, his parents um, were not good parents. And he even talks about when he was 14 years old, his mother was dying and was sick at home and dying. And he went out and was gambling and drinking as a 14-year-old, just trying to uh, avoid that situation. He was living deep in sin, and he spent some time in jail when at the age of 20, he became radically changed. He was saved, and God began to do a great work uh, then in his life. Eventually, he moved to Germany. I'm sorry, from Germany to England. And there, of course, he founded those famous uh, orphan orphanages. And, and God just did a tremendous thing through his life. Of course, he's, he's well known for uh, just praying for his prayer and how God answered his prayer over and over again. But the point that he made in some of his biographies that he talked about, what he said, he said, I was a person that was driven towards wickedness and driven towards evil, and God radically changed that to do good. And you know, as Christians, that's what it is. We're to avoid and to stay away from evil, and we're to pursue things that are good. And so that's what he opens up with. He says, listen, your love should be genuine. You should love sincerely. And the way that we reveal that is in the things that we stay away from, that we warn others about, and the things that we pursue. But then secondly, as we come to verse number 11, I want you to see here that we are to serve diligently. One of the outflows is that we will serve diligently. Look at verse number 11. He says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. He says here that as Christians, we are to be involved in serving the Lord. And so Paul gives us the approach that we're to take when it comes to our service. First of all, we're not to be slothful in our pursuits. The word business there that you see is not just talking about like your workplace, although it does have an application for that. The word literally means diligence uh, or your zeal or the thing, things that you are earnestly pursuing. And so he says, don't be slothful, which you know that's slow moving or lazy. Don't be slothful. Don't be lazy in the things that you are pursuing with diligence. And as a Christian, we know that to be the things of God. And so he's encouraging us here, don't approach life and don't serve God in a laid back, slow moving mentality. Listen, church, our world is in pain, isn't it? Our world is suffering. There are millions of people that are starving because of man's selfishness and man's sin. 
There are people that are hoarding from others. There's diseases and war and death and abuse and addiction. And we could go on and on and on about all of the terrible things that are happening in this world. And so as Christians, we cannot be prone to sluggishness or complacency uh, because, uh, listen, there are people that need Christ and we then should not be lax in that. We should be pursuing with diligence and with zeal and with earnestness, uh, being enthusiastic in the service of the Lord. Remember, our attitude will determine our altitude, especially when it comes to the Christian life. And and we need to uh, approach serving the Lord with excitement, approach serving God with enthusiasm and and any opportunity that comes our way, no matter what it is, that we would approach it with the right spirit and the right testimony, bringing honor to God and bringing honor to our testimony. Sure. Listen, when it comes to serving the Lord, there are moments of fatigue. Believe me, I know what those are like. There are moments when we are tired uh, and that's part of the cycle of service, but apathy The lack of zeal uh, should never be a part of the believer's life. We must, with courage, fight against those things. We must do what we need to do to fight against discouragement and and, and, uh, negativity, and we must do what we can to keep our spiritual temperature hot and where it needs to be. And it's so interesting. That's exactly what he says in the verse there. He says you're to serve, uh, serve the Lord there, but he says also fervent in spirit. Did you see that? Now, that's a really interesting term. It actually means a boiling point. A boiling point. It's talking about uh, the idea that, okay, we're not going to be lazy at all, and we're going to keep our spiritual temperature where it needs to be. We're going to pursue that. We're going to pursue a zeal for Jesus Christ. Uh, Somebody put it this way, we must be aflame for the Lord. And why is that? Well, it's again the same reason. The world that we live in is stumbling under the weight of its need for Jesus Christ. And we must keep that passion alive and burning if we are going to serve the Lord. Remember, it is Jesus who we serve. And as Christians, our purpose on this earth is to serve him and his passions for his kingdom and for his glory. And God's passion is that other people would come to know him. I think of Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, where it says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. Whatever you do, you need to do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. I recognize that serving God can sometimes be intimidating. Uh, Sometimes we wonder uh, where and how God is leading us, but I want to remind you, that if you know your spiritual gifts, you can step into places of fulfillment. And honestly, you'll be able to step into places where you're energized by that service. And so it's important to us to know that so that we can serve God with passion and with diligence. And so he says, when it comes to serving diligently, uh, don't be slothful in that. There's a world that needs to hear of Jesus Christ, and God has chosen us as his people to carry the light of the gospel to them. And so we must be diligent. Man, sometimes we get, dil- we get, we get apathetic, don't we? We get lazy in these things. I- I'll be the first to admit it. And we lose the passion for serving the Lord. But he says, don't, don't be like that. Don't be slothful in your diligence. Uh, keep your spiritual temperature high. How do we do that? Well, we do that by pursuing Christ. We do that by a humble spirit. We do that by reading his word and studying it and allowing it to saturate us. We do that by confessing our sin and letting the Holy Spirit work in us as he really desires to work. That's how we keep our passion where it needs to be. That's how we keep our our fervor and our, our focus to what God would have us to do. So he says, listen, if you're a Christian and you're surrendered and you are transformed by the renewing of your mind and you know your spiritual gifts and you're, you're pursuing God in this way with humility, he says, you've got to serve diligently. That follows, of course, loving sincerely. But thirdly, we see here in verse number 12, he encourages us to suffer gracefully. Now, maybe you didn't think that suffering would be in here, um, but we're about to see that here in verse number 12. He says, rejoicing in hope, 
patient in tribulation, and then continuing instant in prayer. Now, this, is, this is a great, and what's interesting is each of these verses, it seems to list three different things, but they are all connected, and you can see how they're connected here. You know, life is difficult at best, <laughs> and then it's worse, <laughs> and, and life is tough. There are so many difficulties that we go through, and yet in the middle of our broken and our fallen and our suffering world, which, by the way, the brokenness and the suffering that we see is a result of man's rebellion against God, but in the middle of all that, a believer's approach to tribulation and a believer's approach to trials is actually supposed to be different. See, we're not to be the kind of people that allow the trials of life to set the tone for how we approach life. Uh, we're not people who are timid in any way by the, by the uh, desperateness of our world and the people all around us. We are people who turn in times of trial and in times of good, people who turn to our overcoming resource and by following Christ and then seeing the victory. Now, this verse here gives us three ways that we can approach trials and difficulties to experience victory in these difficulties. Notice what he says there. He says we're to rejoice in hope, we're to be patient in tribulation, and then we're going to continue earnestly in prayer. I just want to hit these all really briefly for us. I hope you're taking notes and writing these down. I just want to cover, first of all, how we're to rejoice in hope. Now notice here, the hope that he's talking about is in God. You have to understand that. This is Paul talking here, who went through many trials and tribulations. So when he mentions hope, he is talking about hope in God. And he's talking about God's presence and God's concern and God's uh, care for us. You know, when we face trials, God will do one of two things. Either God will remove the trial from our life, or he will take you through the trial. He'll remove it, or he'll take you through it. And so what we learn from that, though, is that God is with us regardless of what we are facing. And so as Christians, there is no situation that is too hopeless for us because we have hope in God. In, in one way, we are like eternal optimists. Now, I know some people who are maybe uh, um, uh, skeptical by nature, and I'm maybe one of those people. We're often skeptical of people who are eternal optimists. And I make that word, that, that, that word at the beginning, eternal optimists, and, and we're skeptical of them. Uh, but the, here's the fact. We can be eternal uh, optimists optimistic about the future because we have a hope in an eternal God. And so on this, in this life, in this world, we can live in optimism because of our eternal God who is never changing, never failing. He is with us. And I know it's, it's hard when you see that person who's always like, it's going to be okay. God's going to work things out. We're like, whatever. He doesn't really feel that way. Listen, genuine hope in Christ is a legitimate thing. And I think it's something that as Christians, we should pursue maybe a little bit more. You know, 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verse number uh, 13, talks about this idea of hoping in God. He says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. He's like, don't, don't be like, what? Am I the only one to go through this? No, no, it is, it's normal. He says, verse 13, though, but rejoice. So rejoice in the fiery trials inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering. Now, that's a key right there. We are identifying then with Christ's suffering. Christ in his death identify with us. We can identify in our suffering with him and what he went through on the cross. That when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. He says rejoice. And he says, and you will have joy while you go through these because of Jesus Christ. And so you have to remember that we are to rejoice in hope and put that first place. We have hope in God. But then he also encourages us to be patient in tribulation. Patient in tribulation. That word there means affliction. It means anguish. It means anxiety. 
These are all things that we can relate to when it comes to tribulation. And he says that we are to endure those trials with patience. Oh man, I hate that word. Don't you? (laughs) I hate that word, patience. Patience uh, means to endure, to remain, to persevere, to abide. But in its context within this passage, the word patience also means to bear up bravely or to find strength. Now, this is interesting here. He is encouraging us to find strength. And he's saying it is possible for you, the Christian, to find a surge in strength and a surge in confidence even when trials confront you. And it's because of who your hope is in, which is Jesus Christ. You know, God made a promise to Israel, and that promise still rings true for us today from Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, where he said, Fear thou not, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. This is a promise for you. He said, I will strengthen thee. I will, uh, yeah, I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Listen, it is possible to be patient in tribulation for one reason, and it's because God is in control of the situation. We must constantly be reminded of that fact. We can actually grow stronger and grow closer to God through tribulations and through difficulties. And so when we find ourselves in a challenging situation, and you may be in one of those right now, What you can do is realize God's either going to remove it, and if he doesn't remove it, then he's going to take me right through it. And we have confidence in that. Now, I'm not a naturally patient person. I think I kind of gave that away when I said I don't like the word patience. I'm not naturally a patient person, but there's one aspect in my life that I am actually patient in, and it's because of what happens at the end of that situation. I'll tell you what it is. So a few years ago, my wife got me a a smoker, a meat smoker. If you're vegan, I'm sorry, Uh, but I I have a meat smoker. And um and one of the things that I like to do is I like to smoke a, a brisket. Uh, uh, so anyway, if you don't know what it is, you can look it up later on. Uh, but a brisket. But to, to smoke and prepare a brisket properly, um, you need, that thing needs to be in the smoker probably 14 to 16 hours. That's a long time. And uh, one of the things, that, especially the first one I did, I was like kept checking it and I was trying to get it out early and all that. No, no, no. What I've learned when you're, when you're making a brisket, you need to just let it sit. You just need to let it, let it go. And you need that 14 or that 16 hours, and there's a process. And, and you know what I've learned? I've learned to be patient with that. And the reason I've learned to be patient, because I know what is at the end of it. I know what's at the end of it. I know that there are some good things that are going to happen at the very end of it. And so I'm patient because I know the goodness. In the same way, we can be patient in tribulation. We can be patient in the difficulties because we know there's something good at the very end of it. We know that God is working in every situation that we are in. And so he says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. But then he says, be instant in prayer. In prayer. The word that we have translated instant means continuing instant. What that means is to give constant attention to. You need to be devoted and constantly focused on the aspect of prayer, unceasing care for. It means to persevere in it. And, and very simply, here's what he's saying. We can be graceful in suffering by giving constant attention to God and waiting upon his delivering power. Listen, church, we are to be, as believers, we are to be in constant communion with our God. We're to be continually depending upon him to supply the strength to walk through the trials of daily living. Jesus said himself that men uh, men ought always to pray and not to faint. And that's the idea of like just constantly being a state of communion with God. This doesn't mean you're walking around mumbling under your breath. This is an idea of, of you having a direct line, a connection to God, which we do, but we don't often avail ourselves of it. Now that verse right there, I love it. It says, pray and don't faint. Um, but 
Uh, to me, I love it so much because I relate to it because whenever trouble comes, I do want to faint. I want to give up. I want to close my eyes. I want to remove myself uh, from the situation. But God says you need to pray. See, prayer should always be our first response, not our last resort. Prayer should always be our first response to trials, not our last resort. First Chronicles 16.11 tells us to seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. When was the last time that you went through a day where you can honestly say, I've been in communion with God. I have been seeking God's face throughout this entire day. I feel like I could preach an entire message just on those three thoughts right there. Because trials take up so much of our mental real estate, doesn't it? Uh, the difficulties and the trials, man, we focus so much time and so much effort on them. But the answer here to suffering, the answer to difficulty, the answer to, as a Christian, to walk through suffering in a grace-filled way is found right there in the verse. Maybe that's what you needed to hear today. I don't know. Maybe out of this whole message, that's the point that you needed to hear, to walk through suffering and to walk through difficulty gracefully. The, the outline is given to us right there. And it's such a great thought. And I hope that you'll maybe return to it uh, maybe later on this week. But there's a fourth point that I want to cover this morning as we're walking through this list of what it looks like to have the behavior of a Christian. And fourthly, he encourages us to give selflessly. Give selflessly. Look at verse number 13. He says, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Distributing to the necessity of the saints given to hospitality. You know, because we are members of Christ's body, one of the things that is emphasized to us is that we would be looking for the needs of others and we would be desiring to meet the needs of those within the body of Christ. This was a trademark of the believers. If you remember in our study of the book of Acts, multiple times we saw this happening. In uh, early part in the early church there in Jerusalem, what did we see? We saw them selling their possessions. We saw them uh, giving of those possessions to the church to care for the needs of the widows and the poor and just the overall needs of the church. And then later on in Acts chapter 11, we saw the church in Antioch uh, giving generously to give a gift to Paul to take to the church at Jerusalem, the church that had been so giving to others. Now it had needs. And we see that church giving to help them out. And basically, what he's saying here is that we need to be looking out for the needs. That's a necessity, looking out for the needs of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we are able, we need to do what we can to distribute to it, to give to that, to help within that need. Now that characteristic specifically applies to Christians because he says to the saints. So other believers, those of the body of Christ, we're to be looking to help meet their needs. And we know we're to meet the needs of the world as well. But then he goes on and he talks about how we are to be given to hospitality. Now that's a different thing. He talks about saints uh, when it comes to giving to the necessity of needs, but then when it comes to hospitality, that's the idea of strangers. Yes, it applies to church people, but it also applies to strangers, people that you are trying to influence and reach uh, with the gospel. And he says that as Christians, we are to be people who are given to hospitality. The word given there means we pursue it, I mean, we go after it. You know what it's like to save for something that you want. And you're like, I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to sell some stuff on Facebook Marketplace. I'm going to do what I can to scrounge what I want, uh, scrounge the money together so I can buy this thing that I am pursuing. And he says that we are to pursue and go after hospitality. Now, I want to just clarify something real quickly here. Christian hospitality is different than social entertaining. This is so important for us to remember. Entertaining somebody, say, oh, I'm going to entertain some people at my home. What does that do? That focuses on the host, doesn't it? 
It focuses on, you know, oh man, the house is so clean and the food is so good and laid out so nicely and the host is, is just so calm and they're so well, uh, well behaved and they have all these talking points and games and, and that's entertaining people. Hospitality, in contrast, is something that focuses on the guests. Hospitality is focusing on the people that are actually there. You're focusing on their needs, whether it's a place to stay, uh, whether it's some food, whether it's a listening ear, encouragement, acceptance. That is the primary concern when it comes to hospitality. Did you know that hospitality can happen in a messy house? Did you know that? <laughs> I just want to take the pressure off some of you because you're like, I can't, I can't have anyone, I can't be hospitable because you know my, I, I work long hours. Listen, hospitality can happen in a messy house. <laughs> Hospitality can happen at a table where the main dish is Campbell's tomato soup and some popcorn. Maybe Ritz crackers, that would be pretty good. <laughs> but it can. Hospitality can happen in that environment. And so as believers, we must be careful that we do not uh, hesitate to offer hospitality just because we don't feel that we're wealthy enough or that we don't have everything put together enough to entertain. 1 Peter 4.9 says to use hospitality one to another without grudging. You know, some of the best and most encouraging moments of my life have happened in a basement suite in Vancouver. <laughs> Did you realize that? It hasn't happened at somebody's mansion or somebody's awesome home or backyard. Some of the best and most intimate and encouraging moments have taken place in a basement suite with too many people and too few chairs, <laughs> where there's people sitting on the floor. And uh, by the way, probably just pizza, <laughs> nothing fancy, nothing spectacular, but those have been some of the, the greatest moments and connecting moments of my life. Now, I recognize to talk about hospitality. I was talking to Jeanette earlier. I said, I'm going to preach on hospitality today. She's like, great. <laughs> uh, we're, we're not in a spot right now where that's, uh, we're not even really allowed to or supposed to be seeing that happen. But at the same time, hospitality, I believe, is a mindset, not just an event. It is something that we need to pursue. It's more than a moment. It's a mentality. And even with all the challenges that we are facing today, we can find ways to think about it. We can find ways to serve one another and it is a, it is a, it, specifically, it is a behavior of the Christian that we are looking for needs. We're doing what we can out of what God has blessed us with to help the needs of others. And then at the same time, we're looking for ways to show hospitality, care for others, reach out to others, and share with them what we have for the purpose of their good and of their benefit. You know, church family, God desires that we live out the grace that he has given to us. And I'm so thankful, and I hope that you are thankful as well, that God has chosen to give us very clearly some areas that we can work on, things that we can focus on in the Christian life. So often new Christians and even longtime Christians say, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know how I can share the love of Christ. Well, we've just looked at several right today that are ways that we can live out our faith and share with others and be an encouragement to them by living out the grace of God that is given to us. You know, in our world today, it's not common for people to meet the needs of others. It's not common for hospitality to be genuine and to be uh, focused on meeting the needs of the guest. These are ways that we can reveal the love of Christ and honestly, a way that we can show God's mercy to others because of his mercy for us. I'm so thankful that we have this list. And like I said, next week, we're going to continue it. We're going to keep working our way through this passage of the behavior of the Christian. But for today, I, I just want to stop right here. And for today, I just want to encourage you to reflect on what we've looked at so far in verses 9 through verse number 13. And I'm going to go ahead and actually read those verses for you again. And I want you to take a moment in your heart, just in the quietness of where you are and where you're watching today, to just really reflect on what God is saying to us. And remember, this is all 
an outflow of a surrendered life, a transformed mind, and a person who's committed to following the Lord. In verse number nine, he says, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. I don't know which verse it was that you needed today, but I know there were several in there that God used to speak to me and to speak to my life. And so what I ask you this morning as we head into a time of reflection, do you love sincerely? Do you love sincerely or have you been maybe just faking your love a little bit? Uh, how's your attitude towards serving God? Is it, a, is it a grudging attitude or is it with passion? Is it understanding the crisis that we are facing, understanding the needs of our world and our society? Maybe you're in a trial right now. Maybe you yourself are going through some suffering. Would you rejoice in the hope that's found in Christ? Would you be patient through that trial, recognizing that there is good at the end and there's good through it and that God is teaching you through it? And would you be committed to prayer as well and seeking God during that trial? And maybe there's somebody that you could help. Maybe there's someone in your life right now that you're like, you know what, I, I can help that person. I, I can be a blessing to them. Maybe there's a way that you can show hospitality within all of the restrictions that we're facing right now. Maybe it is you just need to develop in your heart that mindset that, hey, when things open up, I'm, I'm going to put this into practice. These are elements. These are uh, um ways that we as Christians can share the love of Christ with others. This is living out the grace of God. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We really appreciate you joining in. You know, if today's sermon was a help to you, we'd ask that you maybe take a moment and just give us a quick rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening. That really does help get the word out and for other people to find our content as well as connect into the word of God, which is really the most important thing to us. As well, we encourage you to, if you want any more information about City Baptist in Vancouver, you can check out our website at citybaptist.ca or follow us on social media through Facebook and Instagram. Our prayer is that you would continue to walk and grow with Christ. And we love you and we pray for you and we hope that you have a great rest of your day.